The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we get lost in the holes in the sidewalk of our psyches. These holes are like the traps made for wild animals in the wilderness, all covered up with brush and dirt so that we think we're just continuing on the path. But suddenly and without our knowing how, we fall into the hole. We're lost again. We've fallen into that old complex, that old default position of the identity. We don't know how we got there. We don't know how to get out. Heck, we don't even know that we're in it. We just are doing what we've always done. This complex drags us around by our emotions, intense emotions that seem compulsive in nature. They tell us what to do and we're just compelled to do them. And what they tell us to do turns out to be just all wrong. Now we've done it and we begin to awaken to what just happened and we're asking how in the world did this happen? Well, we're going to answer that question today. Stay right here for it. So the first thing I want to say about this is that most of us have heard most of us who are listening to radio stations and, and reading self-help books and reading about spirituality and learning to know ourselves in an authentic way, most of us have heard about all the stories about people who've had these magnificent experiences of a spiritual awakening. Um, perhaps they had a near-death experience or perhaps they had a nearly near-death experience or perhaps they just uh, had this uh, bright light flash that just you know on the road to Damascus they just were blinded by this white light and they it changed them entirely Um, but we what we don't hear so much about uh, is the everyday process of uh, of coming into awareness of who we are as authentic beings and that's what we're going to talk about today because that process involves falling in the hole so falling in the hole is not bad I often say that when people regress, it is because there's something that they needed from back there that they need to bring forward into the present and, and utilize. And so a regression or a falling in the hole is not a bad thing. It actually can be a very productive and a very good thing because we can utilize the time and space and energy of being in that hole to become more aware. And so I, in that vein, I want to read you a little poem uh, it's called uh, There's a Hole in My Sidewalk uh, by Portia Nelson, and it's taken from her book, There's a Hole in My Sidewalk, The Romance of Self-Discovery. So here's the poem. I walk down the street. There's a hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It is not my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. I walk down the same street. There's a hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. 
but it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. I walk down the same street. There's a hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. I walk down another street. And that, my friends, is the process of uh, uniting with the authentic self. We just fall in that hole, and we have to do that in order for us to get clear that it is a hole, that we have the capacity to fall in it, and we have the capacity to get back out of it and stay out of it. And that's the process. So what is the whole? The whole is the adult identity. The whole is an identification with something other than the authentic self. The whole is an identification with superwoman or victim or, or uh, Peter Pan or uh, uh, the runaway or there's lots of different scapegoat, um, bad guy, bully, perpetrator, lots of different roles we can play that don't have anything to do at all with who we are. We act just like that role. We look like that role. We talk like that role. We, you know, we, we think like that role. We feel like that role. But it isn't who we really are. And that is what's so confounding about this, uh, these identities is that we think it's who we are. We believe it and everyone else around us believes it. Oh, that's just John. He just always does that. Well, what John always does is, is, is based in a trance state. These two people named Furman and Gia wrote a great book called The Trauma Wound. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Written in 1999, several years ago, but very good read about how it is that we, we get entranced with the identity, which becomes a survival trance state for us so that we, we feel that our identity is how we will survive and that with, without the identity, we will not be alive. And, uh, and, and how the family really requires that the person put on this identity in order to be a participant in the family. And if you don't put on this identity, well, then, you know, we're not really sure you belong here. And, of course, one of our primal needs is a sense of belonging. And so we will, we will take the small little scraps that we can get of belonging in order to feel like uh, we, ha- we are part of this family. And that in itself is our sense of survival. and It becomes the unifying center that we live our lives around. And uh, so the, the book is a great read, Trauma Wound by Furman and Gia. I really recommend it. Uh, but what they're talking about there is this idea that we, ha- we can ha- live into a whole personality, it seems like, that isn't who we actually are. And we call it our personality. I hear people call it that every day. I heard somebody just yesterday saying, well, I'm a very giving person. Um, but that giving person can also be somebody who's shooting themselves in the foot all the time because they're not capacitated to do other things that they need to do to, to really make life meaningful or to even to survive. So um, we see ourselves in certain prescribed, defined, boxed-in ways that this is who I am. I can't move beyond that. And, and all the while, we keep falling in the hole, and we don't realize that that hole is the identity. It is the role we play. It is the, is the mask and costume we wear that is not who we are. So, um, so when, we, when we fall in that hole, it's like this. Suppose that we've become a little bit conscious. Well, no, let me start with the unconscious part. Let's, let's start with 
you know, I've fallen in the hole. Like Portia Nelson says, I fell in the hole. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It's not my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Okay, so that's a good portion of our lives. We fell in the hole the first time we adopted that uh, identity. Now, we were fairly innocent in that regard because we're, when we're infants, we're surrounded by people who are asking us with their body language and their looks on their face and the projections they project onto us to be something other than what we are. They're, they're, and maybe there's parts of it that are authentically like who we are, but there's a lot that isn't. So, um, for example, someone who's extremely intelligent may be asked to be intelligent for the family. Um, somebody who's extremely empathetic may be asked to be empathetic for the family. So we may, so some parts of it may be who we actually are, but it, it's being used in a way that becomes a role instead of becoming uh, uh, just a, a, an essential ingredient of our beingness. Um, so early on, uh, we 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 develop this imprint. We imprint to our to whatever the fantasy our parents and family have about who we ought to be, and we get entranced. We get hypnotized into living that out, and because it's a part of the rhythm and the pace and the the uh, the unspoken design of the family, and so we just join in and we just go to that drumbeat and we just march that way, uh, and the children who can't march that way. Uh, uh, sometimes are are put in a different kind of role. So let's let's look at it this way. I'm raised in a family of engineers, and I'm an artist. I've used this example before because it's easy to see. Um, but but I'm not. I don't think like an engineer. I don't walk like an engineer. I don't talk like an engineer. I don't have the uh, the same emotional responses that an engineer has. I'm very um, uh, passionate and driven to creativity and they are they are very logical and ordered and mathematical in their orientation to life and so uh, I'm making this really black and white just so I can point out the example but but the point is that I'm not like them so what are they going to do they're likely to tell me and show me how I'm bad for being different from them and so I'm going to strive to be like them and so I'm going to give up my artistic ability I'm going to give up my 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 empathic nature I'm going to give up those things in order to try to be more like them I'm going to try to to be and think and walk like them but but my artistic nature is going to come through sometimes and it's going to present itself sometimes and sometimes it'll even come up in the form of great longings for me to be able to be creative Uh, but I try to quash that I try to push it away because that doesn't please my family or if I do demonstrate it then I'm made fun of and scapegoated by the family for having that so I eventually become sort of a scapegoat in the family I'm the bad one I'm the I'm the one that's not like everybody else I'm different and I'm and so I'm 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 not going to be as received as my siblings are because they're more like mom and dad who are engineers I'm not so something wrong with me I'm the ugly duckling um, and and so what will I grow up to be? Well, I don't know. Will I grow up to be the swan I am? Or will I grow up to be more like trying trying really hard to be more like them? Or will I fall somewhere in the cracks and, and start using drugs and alcohol and just become what they think I am, uh, a ne'er-do-well? So in that sense that we cannot uh, seem to find ourselves separate from our families, we tend to uh, be denigrated. I mean, when it says that we cannot find ourselves separate from our families, we seem to feel connected. When we feel separate and different from our families, we're denigrated very often for that. So, 
so that's just one example of how that works. So when that when that first time we fall in the hole, that's us giving up the authentic self for the for the for the role, the mask and costume that we're asked to play by the family. And sometimes we're asked to be the scapegoat for the family because the family just needs one. So we can even do that. But the role, the identity or the role has certain prescribed allowances. So it's allowed to feel certain things. It's allowed to think certain things. It's allowed to act in certain ways. And it's allowed to, to not act in other ways. So... Um, so that's what we'll do. If I'm the scapegoat in the family, I'm going to do what that's prescribed. Either I'm going to be trying to be very, very good to, be, uh, to, to, to always show that I'm, I'm a good person. I'm going to be, try to be like them. I'm going to try to serve them. I'm going to find some way to belong to this family. Or I'm going to be very, very bad and be the rebellious one and, and, and live out all the badness that the family doesn't want to see in themselves. As badness being... Uh, air quotes there, where where badness isn't really badness because we don't really have a uh, standardized definition of badness around the world, but rather something that the family perceives as badness. Uh, So that's the whole. The whole is that identity. So you you walk uh, down the street and you fall in that hole and you don't know how you got there and you think maybe it's somebody else's fault and it takes a long, long time to get out. And then you go down the same street and and you fall in it again. And it, again, it takes you a long time to get out because you don't know how you got there or, or who to blame or what to look for or anything. Um, but that hole is a great opportunity for us to get conscious because it's painful. Anything that's painful is an opportunity for us to become conscious. And that's not typically how we think of pain, especially in this day and age when the law of attraction is out there and pain is considered to be a negative um, and if we think about our pain, we're we're considered to be uh, we're, we're thought to be thinking negative thoughts. Um, uh, but pain is an opportunity. It's a grand opportunity for us to 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 sit with it and observe what's really going on inside. What do we really want? What does that hole look like? How, uh, you know, how did I get here? What steps did I take to put myself here? What did I ignore? And you notice in the in the third stanza of this poem, it says that. Um, that uh, she's walking along and she pretends that she doesn't see the hole. Um, and so we can do that too. We can pretend, pretend that we don't know that that identity is there even when we've started to become conscious of it. But in the early stages, we're not conscious of it. Um, we, we don't really see what's going on. We don't know why it is the way it is. And very commonly, uh, we will either blame ourselves, which doesn't help, or blame someone else, which also doesn't help. Blame in and of itself does nothing except ease a, sen- a sense of uh, responsibility uh, so that we don't really really take account of, okay, let's forget about blame. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. What is going on here? What's really happening here? How did I fall in this hole? What does it look like? What am I going to feel like if I stay in this hole? What would I really like to have happen? Would I like to build my house in this hole? Some people would, and some people do, um, build their entire lives in those holes and and live enclosed in that little dark space. But uh, if you don't want to do that, then what are you going to do to get out of it? So so really paying attention to what goes on there. But it's it's a fall back into the default position. And the default position is the inauthentic position. And, uh, and after the break, we're going to talk some more about what that means. But, but, but that's, 
we, I want to define it as the default position. It's the role I got imprinted to when I was an infant. And it's easy and very familiar for me to fall back into that same old way of thinking, that same old way of feeling, that same old way of doing, so that I, I don't even realize that there's a problem because I've just been doing this all my life. Um, and uh, so if I do think there's something wrong, then I might blame myself or blame somebody else. If I'm a scapegoat, I'm likely to blame myself and tell myself how terrible and awful I am. Uh, If I'm the victim, playing out the victim role, I'm likely to blame other people and to say how awful and terrible they are for having put me in this dark place. Uh, So those are just two opposites, but it can run the gamut between the two. And so what we have to do there is stop thinking about whose fault it is. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. It matters that we become conscious. And this painful dark place is a grand opportunity for us to become conscious. So anytime, if you've been advancing, and we're going to talk more about the advance after the break, but if you've been advancing in your consciousness and you find yourself suddenly back into an old space, a panicky place, uh, a a really uh, depressed place or a a really... uh, sort of cycling around the same thought place, uh, worried place, an anxious place. If you found yourself in those places, then um, then that's a time for you to become conscious, a time when you can really start paying attention <coughs> excuse me, to what's really going on and, and how you got there and what do you want with this place? What does it have to give you? What did you leave back here that you forgot that you need to pick up and take with you into the present so that you can use it? And usually what we've left is some kind of awareness that we just have to have that is very, very important for us. Um, and, and so these times that we regress and fall back into the hole and feel lost again are really, really important. So I really want to give it that. When we think that we have to be on this straight linear pathway up to this higher self, as a lot of people call it, and if you've been listening to my show, you know that I don't believe there's any such thing as a higher self or a lower self because that idea keeps us split off from the authentic self, which is the only self there is. Um, and, you know, when we, when we think we have to have that linear path to the higher self, what we do is miss out on the regressions that will help us to, to really perceive what's going on and to really be able to take responsibility for it. Because how can we take responsibility for something we can't even see, feel, touch, or, or be aware of? So that's really the first thing I wanted to bring home is that these places are really important. They're valuable. They're necessary for our growth, and they can be places where we can gain a tremendous amount of understanding about our lives. So we're going to carry that with us into the next segment. We're going to talk about how it is to advance and fall back. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you just getting started on the path to metaphysical healing of yourself? Would you like to have some fun as you find out more? Join Julia Stubbe and Carol Lee Schloth each week as they guide you through the energetic toy box. 
This show will gift you the basic foundation and tools as you discover your spiritual path on a deeper level, encouraging the exploration of many facets and concepts such as chakras, healing, meditation, crystals, and more, so that you can use these in your daily life. The Energetic Toy Box is here for you every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Ask Theo Live channels to a new reality. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a Ph.D., a Doctor of Ministry, or in the Holistic Theology program, a Doctor of Theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are Holistic Theology, Holistic Health, Holistic Ministries, Metaphysics, and Parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and meaning, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. The population of students includes doctors, lawyers, healers, nurses, ministers, counselors, psychologists, social workers, nutritionists, herbologists, homeopathy practitioners, psychics, mediums, and many others who have a special gift that they want to bring to the world and they need to credential it. It also includes students who simply wish to enhance their own profound spiritual journeys. What is most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spiritual spirituality by utilizing as your text writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu 
Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. That's 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today about being lost in the hole in the sidewalk of our psyches. And what we said in the first segment was that, A, the hole is an old identity that we formulated when we imprinted to the fantasy our parents had about us, that they projected onto us and which we introjected to and, and became uh, in order to belong to this family. Uh, Furman and Gia, as I mentioned in the first segment, who wrote the book The Trauma Wound, uh, talk about how that becomes a hypnotic trance state for us and how we we are hypnotized into living into this role and it feels just like a hypnosis because it feels very real even though it isn't who we really are. So that's how the hole got there. And now we got to figure out how to stay out of the hole. The sidewalk is uh, is the sort of pathway of our lives and, and that hole is there uh, because it is, uh, is the identity we live into. But, uh, and what we have to learn, as Portia Nelson teaches us, is how to stay out of the, the hole and maybe how to even get on a whole new sidewalk. Uh, and so, what a lot of us who've been uh, in the uh, sort of understanding ourselves as spiritual beings differently uh, have come to understand is that there are, there are ways that we're being taught how to find what, what, what's called a higher self, how to get rid of ego how to be better people, how to improve ourselves constantly. These are, these are a, lot, a lot of the words that are used as jargon uh, in a lot of the teachings that we hear out there. And I'm going to disagree with some of that. Um, so you may choose to disagree with me, which is definitely your right. But I want to offer you another paradigm, another reframe for that. Because I don't think we need to get rid of ego. Ego is not... Uh, our, our the whole sum total of our personality. Uh, it has been called that by many people, uh, including psychiatrists and psychologists. The ego is actually, however, uh, a uh, liaison between the inner and the outer world that keeps us sane. Truly keeps us sane. It's because if we're too too heavy on the outer world, we're going to identify externally and. And, and be very motivated by external reference. So we're going to be uh, looking to the world to tell us who we are and what we should do and what we should be and how we should think and how we should feel. And so we're going to be sort of like sheep just following that. And that can be sort of crazy-making because the world isn't sure about what it wants of us. Um, but the, on the other hand, that uh, we can be too, too heavy on the side of the unconscious where it's chaotic and... Um, you know, there's all kinds of crazy images that go on in the unconscious, and I don't mean crazy as in uns- insane, but just wild uh, um, um, images and symbols that are in the unconscious. And if we identify with any of those, that can be literally crazy making because we can become even psychotic as a result of over identifying with the unconscious world. So um, when it comes to uh, the ego, we don't want to get rid of it. And we, we definitely hear people even today saying that they don't live in their ego anymore. And, and I think what they're trying to convey is that they live in something more authentic and, and peaceful. But I think for the listeners, that's very confusing because um, 
because it assumes that there's something inside of us that we need to get rid of. And I don't agree with that. And Carl Jung wouldn't agree with that. We're supposed to be integrating, not getting rid of things. So uh, by integrating, what that means is we can take it in and love it. And uh, if it's going to transform because we love it, then it will. If it's not, it won't. Um, And sometimes we need what people call negative energies to help us understand our next step. Uh, So that fear that people might call a negative energy uh, is actually one of those things that might help us understand our lives uh, and and maybe our next step better. So if I'm standing in the middle of the street and there's a Mack truck coming, I probably should be afraid. Um, On the other hand, if I'm irrationally afraid or if I live in a state of fear where I believe, as it says so beautifully in that parable of the talents that Jesus gave us, in the New Testament where he says that the man who hid his talent thought that God sowed where he did not reap and reaped where he did not sow. And many of us think of our higher power that way, that, um, that it's an unfair entity who's just, you know, randomly uh, picking people that are going to suffer. And you just never know if it might be you, so you better hide that talent and make sure that, you know, it's safe and can be found later. So... A lot of us live in that paradigm so that we're not thinking in terms of, of openness and, and, and receptivity and how many ways that we're loved by the divine and how our supply is already ready right there for us. We're thinking in terms of how the divine is really kind of out to get us and we're, we're going to have to watch out because, you know, we, it might, we might be the next random chosen person to get it. Uh, so, uh, some of us live in that paradigm and, uh, and that's certainly not a way to live, but even getting in touch with that fear can awaken us to what the whole is, because that whole would be the identity that identifies with, I should be very afraid of my higher power because maybe I deserve some kind of punishment. Why? Because I feel like a bad person. Why? Because that's what my family needed me to be. Uh, so that those, you know, we keep going down with the why and the why and the why and get down to the bottom line. Oh, now I see what the whole is. Uh, so that's how getting in touch with our fear can help us. But saying to ourselves that we shouldn't be afraid is not going to be helpful. So we're not going to get in touch with what this hole is and how to stay out of it by, by pretending that we can make our parts of ourselves go away. Okay, so I want to be crystal clear about that. Uh, we, get in t- we, we get out of these holes by integrating, by being able to go, okay, you know, what is the hole? What does it mean? How can I utilize this information to make myself uh, walk down a different sidewalk or walk down the sidewalk on my path without fa- falling in the hole? Maybe I'll still have the hole, but I won't have to fall in it. Uh, so, um, so I want to be crystal clear that that's not, uh, we're not going to split off from ourselves. I also want to say that I called, this, uh, I called this a hole in the sidewalk, but I also called it a complex. And so here's what a complex is. A complex is very uh, very commonly a part of the, the, the identity that's all wrapped up in emotion. So um, if I have a fear, for example, that I'm not going to survive financially, then, uh, then that fear might get triggered. If, you know, like if somebody keeps talking about financial issues and how bad they are, then I, my fear might get triggered and I might then get myself into a panicky state and then I might be, uh, might, uh, sort of live into that fear for a while until I feel like that it's too overwhelming and I'm going to have to do something to stop myself from doing that. 
but the, the fear um, then needs to be understood. So if I look at that fear and go, okay, what is this all about? Oh, okay, I have this part of me that believes that I should not be able to survive financially because my family always was poor, so why should I be okay financially? So, you know, I'm, I have that sort of agenda in the back of my mind and I and I live that out as if it's true and my fear says, yes, of course it's going to be true. Of course it's going to be true. Of course it's going to be true. You're going to have to go back to living the way your family lived and it's going to be awful again and you don't want to do that. So it's kind of a little bit like a post-traumatic stress uh, in that it's a it's it's going back to experience, re-experience something that's already happened and done as if it's still happening today. Um, and and so that's kind of the way the complex can sort of drag us around emotionally. It creates these intense emotions that we sort of have to figure out how we're going to walk through without identifying with them. And the way to do that is to listen to the emotion as if it has a message to give us rather than a command over us. Because very commonly what we think is if I feel it, I have to do something with it. Um, and we often do the wrong thing that way. So if I feel like knocking your lights out, boom, your lights are out. And then later you're laying on the floor and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just knocked this person out. <laughs> now that's an extreme example, but, uh, but that is what our emotions can do. They can, make, they can get us to behave in certain ways that are not going to be effective. So we go, uh, we tromp on other people's feelings or we, we uh, say things we later regret or we, uh, we get impulsive about finances and go do something that gets us in even more trouble or we, you know, there's lots of things we can do out of acting on, on an emotion rather than listening to an emotion. So one way to get out of the hole is to start just listening to the emotion, to sit with it. And, and I would encourage people to sit with it as, as a part of their meditation, to let the emotion present itself when you're already in a state of meditation and let the emotion just kind of speak to you about what it's really trying to say. And, uh, you know, for many of us uh, in this world, we were asked to do things beyond our ken as children. And so we're, we feel small in the face of the enormity of all the things we have to do. Like for a child who was taught to, uh, to cook and clean and take care of parents and other siblings, that child took on enormous adult tasks, but may still on some lingering unconscious level feel very small in the face of the enormity of life. That part of them was never allowed to be out and free and, and honored and trusted and uh, so that part needs to come forward. So maybe a crisis brings that far- part forward so that we can become conscious of it, love it, and integrate it. And that's how that would be very helpful to us. So you see, these are the ways that, the un- that, that getting in touch with our emotions can be extremely helpful to us rather than pushing them away in the name of trying to live into a higher self, rather than pushing them away in the name of, oh my gosh, that's a negative emotion. I shouldn't be feeling that. Let me push that away again. Um, it, it does not help us to split off from our emotions by repressing them. Uh, that only further splits us and we become further unconscious and we become therefore f- further um, disenabled to do the things we want to do with our lives. So this whole thing about negative and positive has to factor in here um, as we process through what's really true and false about falling in the hole because so much of our literature that's out there today teaches us not to think negative, not to think feel negative. And what's called negative 
It's just the normal stuff of life, the normal stuff of, of, of emotions and feelings and thoughts and uh, uh, ways of living. They're not necessarily negative. They just are ways that we've responded because we're identified with some complex. So, okay. Now, how to do, what, what's going on if we're advancing is that we're, we're becoming conscious of, okay, I, I realize that this isn't who I really am. I've begun to make the distinctions between the role I've played and who I really am as an authentic self. And I've, I, I've, I've even felt the peace and the joy that comes from living in my authentic self. I felt that, and it's felt really good, and I feel really grounded in that. And that's, I'm really feeling uh, more alive than I've ever felt and more free than I've ever felt. And then all of a sudden, boom, I'm in the hole again, and I don't know how that happened. Uh, and so processing through how that happened is exactly what we're called to do at that point. We're not called to fuss at ourselves and tell ourselves that we're bad people for having fallen in the hole and, oh, my God, here I am back here, and I guess, I guess it's not true that I can have an authentic self. Maybe I'll just have to live in this state forever. I knew this wasn't going to last. This was never going to last. I can't make this happen. You know, we get into all these hopeless thoughts, and we can stay right there if we want, or we can say, okay, I'm going to sit with this. I'm going to see what, what, what it's really trying to tell me, and I'm going to learn and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find what's going on here because I came back to this place to get something that I need. And that's the way we need to think about any regression or any falling back into a hole. I came back here to get something. What is it? It's like you walk into a room and you've forgotten what you came there to get. Remember, I do that all the time. I walk in and go, what was that coming in? What did I come in here for? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to walk back out and come back in again before I'll remember what it was that I that I forgot to remember so uh so you know we can do that with regard to our psychology too so we need to just sit with it and be present with okay well this is what came up what does it have to tell me you know what is my fear what are the messages i'm giving myself you know even the messages of course of course i failed this is the way it's going to be i'm just a failure those messages can help us understand the identity better and understand its its uh capacities its emotional draw, its seductiveness, all of that. It can help us even get in touch with parts of ourselves that are strengths that we didn't know were down in there. Like, for example, when I said that about the little child that was feeling vulnerable and small in the face of the enormity of these big ta- big adult tasks that have to be done, that person needs to come forward because she represents the vulnerability that is our strength that I talked about last week. So... Uh, so it's very, very important for us to honor these, this, whatever comes up in that time. It doesn't mean we're going to believe everything that comes up as if it's valid. That's, because if you've got an irrational fear, I mean, it's not valid. But it does mean that you need to understand where that fear came from. What, you know, what put that in place. Um, and that it will speak to you. If you're listening, your fear will speak to you and it will tell you where it came from. Oh, this is just like all those other times when mom and dad used to do X, Y, and Z. And so we begin to understand, oh, well, this is the fear. I understand where it came from. So, okay, now that's something I can take with me. That's, the, that's either a vulnerable part that I can use or it's a part that I can use to understand myself better it's useful to me in some kind of way as I travel back out of the hole and onto the sidewalk again. So we're going to talk some more right after the break. You want to be here for the rest of this? We'll be right back. (music) 
This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you ever felt as if you don't fit in? Are you in need of a breakthrough? You might even need to connect with your angels or a loved one on the other side. Tune in to Exploring the Full Spectrum Life with host Michael Lott. Michael and his guests will provide fresh perspectives, inspiration, healing, and insights for your life. It's time to move into new dimensions in your life and fulfill your higher creative calling now. Start by listening live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave. Everyone can learn to communicate with their loved ones in spirit. When you tune in to School of Miracles Radio with Heather Scavetta, you'll learn more about how to develop the ability to see, hear, and feel your loved ones in spirit, as well as spirit guides, masters, angels, and higher beings of light that make up the invisible world. School of Miracles Radio airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you a spiritual seeker? Have you always pondered the deeper questions in life? Have you looked at many spiritual paths and found some answers, but are looking for more? The Open Door, brought to you by the Summit Lighthouse, brings you each week practical spiritual teachings and tools that promote self-mastery, higher consciousness, and the opportunity to connect with the Ascended Masters. Join Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy as we explore the universe of spirituality. Live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. back for the final segment. Uh, we've been talking today about what it's like to fall in that hole in the sidewalk of our psyches and, and how to get out of it and, and what we can do while we're there to, to, to understand and integrate parts of ourselves that we didn't have awareness of before. This, this whole thing of living a spiritual life, it has uh, been earmarked in very fundamental ways, very much like the same old path that is true for Western religion, which is very narrow and has a circumscribed way of being and it ha- you have to do it this way or else. But the spiritual life isn't that way at all. It's a process of awakening and aw- what we awaken to is who we are. So in order to do that, we've got to look at all the parts of ourselves that other people or, or, or you know, old traditional ways of thinking might tell us are negative or bad. Um, and and they're not. They're not negative and they're not bad. They're just parts of us that we haven't resolved yet. And by resolve, I mean integrate. Uh, they're not parts of us that have have been a- we have been able to uh, 
allow into our awareness without fighting it. So if I've got, um, for example, fear. We've talked a lot about fear today. We'll keep on with that example. If I've got fear, then my job is not to push the fear away in the name of I should not be afraid. If I'm a good spiritual being, then I will not be afraid. Fear uh, is the opposite of love. And where there's fear, there's no love. And we hear this all the time. But I'm going to say to you, that fear can sometimes be a form of love because we, we love something or someone enough to fear that something would hurt it. And so, you know, if, if I love a child and I see that child going out in the street uh, then, and I, you know, might even sacrifice my life to rescue that child, that fear was a part of my love. So when we separate things out and polarize them, we're putting ourselves in danger of living un- unconsciously. And, and while that danger is uh, there for us all the time for any, anyway, because we all have an unconscious, we, I, I think that we need to be clear about what we mean by living a spiritual life. Living a spiritual life is a slow walk of awareness. That, and, and what that means is that when, when stuff comes up, I'm going to sit with it and be aware of it and listen to its message and lovingly receive the gift it has to bring me. Now, the gift may not be the direct feeling. (coughs) Excuse me. So the direct feeling might be, you know, terror. Well, that doesn't feel like much of a gift, so we want to just throw the whole thing away. I shouldn't feel afraid. It's not a good feeling. Let me just push that away. But what we can do instead is, is, is... be with the terror enough to hear that under it is this small voice of a child who needs to be taken care of. It's our deepest vulnerability, and our vulnerability is our greatest strength. Why? As I said last week, it is because if we're paying attention to our vulnerability, then we know better how to take care of ourselves. So if you want to know more about that, listen to last week's show. But but the point is that it's it's... Uh, we, we have these things inside of us that need to be seen, just like a little child needs to be seen and, and, and noticed by parents. Uh, uh, that Those feelings need to be seen and heard and honored for what the, the gift they have to bring us. That doesn't mean that an irrational fear is something we're going to start living out of. And that's where we get confused. We think, well, that's an irrational fear. I don't need to listen to that. Well, you can listen to it long enough for it to give you its message about where it came from, why you have that fear, why that fear drags you around, why that fear makes you compulsive. It's important to listen to that message because if you don't, you're going to keep on doing it. Uh, and, and so with, with this thing of living a spiritual life isn't some narrow little linear path that says, you know, you need to become this higher being that doesn't have any fear, that doesn't have any negative thinking, and that doesn't have any negative feelings. And once you get to that place, you will finally have arrived. Maybe you could call yourself enlightened, or maybe you could say you've finally gotten rid of ego. Uh, but what I say to you is, uh, when the day you say you're enlightened is the day you're not. <laughs> and the day that you say that you've gotten rid of ego is either you're using a different language for peace and the and and the and the truth of being aware, or you are uh, you're lying to yourself. You just are because if you get rid of your ego, if you could, which you can't, but if you could get rid of your ego, you would have no liaison between your inner and outer world, and that's pretty risky. 
So um, when, when we're thinking about how it is that we live this spiritual existence, I want, I want to sort of give you an image that says it's a, it's a walk, a slow walk where you're tuned in to what's happening on the bottom of your feet and what's happening in your knees and what's happening in your hips and what's happening in your back, what's happening in your shoulders and what's happening in your mind as you're walking and you're walking and you're walking. You know, many of us walk as a part of our daily routine, an exercise program that we have that we're supposed to walk over 10,000 steps a day. Many of us do that. What are you doing while you're doing that? Are you conscious of what you're doing? Are you, are you, Paying attention to how it feels to put your foot on the on the in your tennis shoe or or your sneakers or whatever you call them on the ground. Are you paying attention to what your knees feel like? Are you paying attention to the wind that just blew through your hair? Are you paying attention to what's going on around you, the the trees and what they look like and the messages of nature that it has to give you? Are you aware or are you off in some zone thinking about what you got to do today later or 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 what you're worried about what the boss said yesterday or what you're worried about you know the wife or the husband and or some the kids are up to or all your worries and anxieties is that what you're thinking about because it, when you're thinking about those things you're generally in the hole um, and I'm not saying that you should never think about those things definitely they're going to come up but you're in the hole and now it's time to go okay what's going on with these things what what's drawing me to think about these things what am what's what is the draw here what is the subtle complex that's dragging me around right now Instead of allowing me to just be aware. So, okay, I can now start to become aware that maybe I'm not paying attention to my feet on the ground, but I can pay attention to the the fear that's just rolling through me, dragging me to worry about my kids or my wife or my finances or my job or my work or my, you know, what I've got to do tonight or whatever. Uh, That emotion is dragging me. What is that? Usually it's some kind of insecurity that says, uh oh, if I'm not, you know, worrying about this, then something bad's going to happen which is a form of trying to control life instead of surrendering to that role that life has where we just kind of, we can pay attention to the moment in the moment and not have to worry about it in advance. Um, So, you know, that's an example of how it is to live that spiritual life that instead of uh, saying to ourselves that I'm going to finally arrive at some place where I'm in constant peace and constant joy and I'll be in bliss forever and I will have done away with karma and I will have done away with ego and I will have done away from that bad old low self that, you know, that, that is that other part of me that I don't want anything to do with. I will have done away with all those things. But, but what, you know, what, what is really true is that that thing doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Now, am I saying that the Buddha didn't arrive at some place of peace? I think if we ask the Buddha, that he would say that that he's not the teacher. You are. Um, I think if we ask Jesus, he said he would say, "Greater things than these shall you do," because I'm not here anymore. Uh, I think if we if we ask the Bhagavad Gita, that, that it would say that the divine self is a part of everything. So therefore, how could we ignore a feeling? How could we say a feeling is a bad thing? You see, so, you know, these people were great spiritual leaders. And uh, they didn't tell us that we, we should be getting rid of things inside of ourselves. They told us that everything is one. They told us that greater things than, we, than these would we do 
as we live into our deepest selves. Um, and uh, that, so those truths stand. And uh, we, we look to those great models and we say, well, I should be like them. I should not have any fear. I should not have any uh, losses. I should, not, I should not be attached to anything. And uh, the interesting thing about what Buddha said about attachment, which I really think is, is such a paradox, but yet so profoundly true. You know, he even talked about going to such non-attachment that you would be uh, in no self. So no self means you don't have a self, right? But then he also came back and said that the self is no self. That the, uh, the, uh, the essence of who we are is that no self. It's kind of like saying the nothing that is everything. So the paradox is that, that as we live into the authentic self, it isn't identified with that, that old identity that we called self, that old personality we called self. It's identified with spirit. And that doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily contained in a little box that always does the same thing every time. Uh, so uh, that non-attachment thing really does speak of, of deeper things than just not not ever letting ourselves want anything. I think that desire is a part of living. And when we say, well, we shouldn't want anything, that means that we're really attached. What we're saying is that we shouldn't be alive. Uh, the word desire is actually part of the word Jehovah. You've heard me say this if you've listened to the show before, that the word Jehovah, when we go down to this root language, is desire. So it's sacred. It's very, very important. And when we say to ourselves, well, you know, that's black and white. Now, what that means is that I shouldn't be attached to anything. We're trying to create a linear path to some pure, perfect thing that isn't really valid. Uh, when, in fact, uh, when we desire, what we're doing is getting close to God. And I'm talking about soul desire. I'm not talking about addictive desire or compulsive desire or desire to fix the past with, you know, trying to attain to some superhuman role that's going to make make it look like we're better people than we think we are. I'm talking about real soul desire that is close to the divine. And uh, when, we, when we touch that, we're touching the hem of the garment, basically. So we should, you know, when we, when we, again, when we create this linear path and say to ourselves, well, there should be no holes in my sidewalk, then what we're doing is we are uh, creating a way to, to, to stop awakening. We won't awaken as long as we're stuck in, there's a perfect way of being and i got to get there. We can awaken if we take what is and work with it. Um, work with it in terms of, okay, let me see what you have to tell me. Let, let me treat you as if you're valid and real and important to me instead of something I should just get rid of and send away. Okay? So that that's the... That's the real important piece of this show today, that the, the path to spirituality is all about awareness of what is, not of what should be, not of what you got to get to, but what is. Not taking an emotion and trying to twist it and turn it and make it into something else, but to take what is. You fell in the hole. Okay, that's what is. Let me look at this hole. Let me see what's in this hole. Is a, are the walls made of clay or asphalt? Or is it, are there pieces of lime in here? You know, what, what's really, what is this wall made out of? What has this hole got in it? Are the, are the ways that the light shines through that are kind of unique? I need to notice that. What's in this hole? That's how we 
find our way out of the hole. It's by paying attention to what it is. And, and, and we, find, we do get to a place where we stop falling in the hole. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we have uh, arrived at some place that we call enlightened. Uh, it does mean that we know how to take what is and make use of it. And, and, and we're, not, we're no longer repressing the things that we would think of as negative and putting them in the unconscious and saying, okay, I got rid of that now. I don't need that anymore. Because whatever you stick in the unconscious through repression is coming back up later and it's probably not going to be as pretty as it was when you stuck it in there in the first place. So, what, you know, when we're, when we're operating out of, I've got to get rid of me, parts of me, then we're operating out of repression, which means we're making a bigger unconscious instead of a bigger consciousness. Um, and that that piece is very, very important to understanding what it is to become a fully integrated person who's united. One of the experiences that is true across the world, regardless of religion, is anybody that's had a mystical experience has described it as unitive. It, it, it brings them to awareness of oneness of themselves, oneness with themselves, one with, oneness with the divine, oneness with all other people and things and places and everything. So everything is one. And if that's really true, then what we're not looking for is how to split off parts of ourselves and get rid of them. We're looking for how to unite them and integrate them. And that is a process of awareness, taking what is and making use of it, not sending things away. So when you fall in the hole, let's, let's explore the hole. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for today. We're going to be back again next week and uh, with another Authentic Living show. And I want you to remember that your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week. Thank you.